Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right. I am sitting here with Patrice, who I am just geeked out right now because I'll never forget when Wynn Claybaugh introduced us, he called me and he said, Tina, you're going to love me. And I'm like, why am I going to love you? He said, because you're going to love the next speaker we have at the Paul Mitchell School Owners Summit. And sure enough, the minute you get off stage, Patrice, I ran right over to you and you instantly embraced me. I love your transparency, your authenticity. You're fantastic on stage. I was just videotaping everything and writing everything down and then immediately started listening to your podcasts. And and I'll tell you, I only listen to a handful of podcasts and yours is the one that I will binge listen because your voice, the sound of your voice is just so peaceful and perfect. So my listeners are going to be so blessed today. And I want to introduce Patrice, um, Patrice Washington. She's an award-winning author, transformational speaker, hope-restoring coach, and media personality. She's committed to redefining the term wealth for our generation. Patrice Washington got her start as your favorite personal finance expert, America's Money Maven, having tremendous success with her mindset approach to personal finance a licensed real estate professional by her sophomore year in college and a real estate and mortgage broker at 21 years old, Patrice took her boutique brokerage from the dining room of her 700 square foot condo to a seven figure real estate empire by just 25 years old. After losing her fortune in the great recession, she dedicated her life to not just rebuilding and reinventing her own life, but helping the masses move from debt management to money mastery. She has since expanded her brand and mission, encouraging women to chase purpose, not money. Patrice is committed to redefining the term wealth using its original meaning, well-being. She encourages women to have wealth in all aspects of their lives by pursuing their purpose, being fulfilled and earning more without ever chasing money. Through her teachings, Patrice empowers women to look at life through the lens of abundance and opportunities instead of lack and scarcity. Her popular podcast was recently featured on Forbes.com as one of 15 inspiring podcasts for professionals of every stripe. And she's an author of three books, Real Money Answers for Every Women, and uh, I tell you, you know, when you ask your questions on podcasts, um, those, those questions at the end, and it says, what book changed your life? Your yeah. book changed my life. Because when I read it, I bought it right away after you spoke to the Paul Mitchell School Owners, and I read it, and I had kind of a fear about money, but you made it simple, and I thought, well, I need to get this in the hands of all of my future professionals in my Paul Mitchell schools because it's a concern. So as we go through this, I want to jump into some of the chapters in your book today because I want some people to hear your voice to these chapters because everyone needs to read this book. And especially if you're a woman, and I, I know you have one for men, you have 
one for women, and you have one for college. You know what's so crazy? I know that I've done all of that stuff, but sometimes one of the things that I haven't been giving myself permission to do is enjoy the journey. And so as you're reading, and I'm literally visualizing myself in that 700 square foot condo and how I used to make these big poster boards with these checklists of all the things I needed to do to get the business going. And you're talking about that seven figure empire. And, you know, I was thinking about buying my first condo and, you know, buying multiple pieces of property <laughs> and losing it in the great recession. And then I, it, like literally there was a movie playing out in my head. Um, and I just feel so grateful that through all the pivots and the turns and the ups and the downs, because that was a roller coaster ride of a bio that you just read, that I'm still here and I'm still standing and I still have an opportunity to share my testimony um, with the hopes that for someone else who feels like they're on a roller coaster ride of their life, that they just know, right, that we're all going in and out of seasons. And every one of these seasons has a purpose because every season that you kind of described very briefly as you were going through that bio, I was just thinking about what my dreams, what my hopes, what my fears, like what I was feeling in those times. And I, like many of us, we get so caught up. I struggle with being present, but I'm, I thank you for reading all of that because I was forced to listen to it. And I believe there's so much even more for you. And I love that you said that it's not just about scarcity, it's about abundance. And, and you know, I think of like my, my I'm a grandma now, right? And I think of my grandson, I wanna give him everything. And how much more God wants to give us is the same gifts that he wants to give us. He wants to give us the desires of our heart. And, and my podcast is called the B series because I believe that we've become, including me, but I believe we've become human doings and forgot that we're human beings. And no one ever lies on their deathbed and says, I wish I would have done more. No, I wish I would have become more of who God destined for me to be. Last year, God downloaded a definition for leadership to me. He told me it's transformed people, transform people. You've been seriously transformed. And you say on your podcast that you were transformed when you were on that couch. And share with the listeners what happened in that moment. Yeah, well, it was actually right before I got on my brother's couch. I was in the bathroom. And what transformed everything was, you know, the recession had happened. I had been on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks waiting to have my daughter left there with 400,000, nearly $400,000 in medical debt and a business that had crumbled during the 10 weeks that I was in the hospital. And if you were in real estate at that time, you know exactly what I mean. The banks were just closing down left and right. And everything that I knew coming out of that hospital had kind of gone away. My husband had been, uh, you know, using our savings to keep everything afloat and juggling and, and you know, trying to ride it out. And after several months, once I was out the hospital, we quickly realized there was no writing it out, you know, like that we just had exhausted everything that we had. We closed the business down, laid everyone off. Our 6,000 square foot home went into foreclosure and we ended up fleeing Southern California and going to Metairie, Louisiana, where we got a 600 square foot apartment, teeny tiny apartment that we could never keep up with the rent on. Like it was that mm -hmm. bad. And there was one week in particular where I had just had enough. 
I, I was just, I was like, you know what? My team had always depended on me to be the fixer. I was the person who could always figure it out for people and like find a quick fix and a hack and a workaround. And so none of my quick fixes or hacks or workarounds were working in my own life. And I was just like, come on, God. Like, what is this? What is this about? Like, I've been a good person. I treat people well. You know, there's enough raggedy people out there who could be suffering through this. Like, why me? And, mm -hmm. and you haven't ever said, why me and not them? Why mm -hmm. me? I don't feel like I deserve this. There's nothing that I've done to another human being on this planet that would deserve me going through this. And I started out by saying, why me in the mirror in the bathroom? And then it turned into a good ball, a good, ugly, nasty cry, you know, snot flowing everywhere, Tina. It was just bad. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up me with me just like a full-blown falling to my knees, curled up in fetal position, bawling. And then my forehead hitting the linoleum. And I'm like, God, you got to give me something. You got to tell me something. You, know, you just can't leave me here. Because I, I literally was starting to contemplate, like, it, is this it? Like, did I peak way too early and the rest of my life is going to be spent in a town where I know no one and where I'm chasing the power man, begging him to turn the lights on because my daughter's milk will spoil in the fridge with the power off and negotiating. I'll try to figure out how to pay by tomorrow. Like, is this what my, this is what I went to school for? This is what I graduated from USC for? This is what I got all these degrees and licenses and certifications at 21, 22, 23. I kept getting all this stuff. Like, this is what it was for so I could end up here. I felt the Holy Spirit. I heard the Holy Spirit say, get your Bible. And I'm getting my Bible. And I literally did not have to turn two, three pages. I literally opened the Bible and I landed on Proverbs and I started really zoning in and, you know, through the tears in my eyes, what popped out to me was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? What good is money in the hands of a fool? And that was the defining moment. That was the moment where it was like a light bulb went off and I was, you know, really trying to wrestle with it. And I'm like, wisdom. I'm like, but I, but I'm smart. That was my, that was one of my first thoughts, but I'm smart, but I'm, I'm usually could figure things out. I'm like, I went to college. Hello. And I passed every test on the first try. I got my broker's license on the first exam. Like I'm smart. And the Holy spirit checked me. I, I went to my uh, computer and I put in knowledge and then I put in wisdom. Very first time that I realized there was a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is all of this book smart that I have. Knowledge is information and education. But wisdom is knowing how to apply it and when to apply it and with whom to apply it. Mm. And I never learned that. I had never even considered that. And that was the first time it hit me. I was like, man, I think I've been chasing money. Like, and this is saying, what good is money in the hands of a fool? You can be a smart fool. You can be an educated fool. I was an educated fool because I had a lot of information. I didn't know always how to apply it. As much as I have been tweaking things and fixing things for other people, I still didn't have the capacity to really hold all of the money that I made at that age because I was lacking wisdom. And a part of wisdom is knowing how to ask for help and how to get support 
I had never invested in coaching. I had never invested in like mentorship. I had never invested in anything beyond like I would go to a seminar, but when they start making the offers, I would walk out. Um, and that was the first time it hit me that I didn't know how to ask for help. Um, and that I had been chasing money and albeit noble because I wasn't chasing money for the sake of, I want to have all the money. It was because I came from, you know, not the best neighborhood in South central Los Angeles. And all I knew, and I would tell my family when I was a little girl, I'm talking second, third grade. I'm like, when I grow up, I'm not going to live here. I used to say little things that now that I'm older, I realize how offensive it could have been taken or perceived. Like, I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. That's what I used to tell my mom. I'm not supposed to be here because there was gang violence. There was drive-by yeah. negative thing. You could things that I would never want my now 11 year old daughter to see. I saw by her age and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and so like most of us, I was raised to believe, well, if you go to school, get good grades, you know, you start a business, get a job or something, you're supposed to be fine. So I just could not understand how I got there. But that verse changed my life. And I got up off that floor and I started a free blogspot.com the next day. And I was like, God, if I can share with one person that this journey is not about chasing money, it's about seeking wisdom. And the more wisdom that we seek, the more we're able to maintain and sustain the money that we do get. And inevitably that, you know, more money becomes the byproduct, but it can't be your focus. And that's what I've been doing for 10 years. Wow. That's, that's so unbelievable because your story is somewhat similar to mine. And because it was quite a few years ago that I had lost it. I lost it. My entire staff at my salon walked out and they actually had the decency to tell me they were walking. They didn't just walk out. This is, you know, 10 plus years ago. And I put my hands between my knees. I lost it. And my husband was just like, girl, you need to get it together. And I just, the anxiety attack, I don't know what it was, you know, the ugly cry, whatever it was. And for 10 years, I sat in blame of that staff. I sat in blame. I was like, I wasn't supposed to be in that field. And so that's where I want to get with you because I thought I wasn't supposed to be in that field, but really I was, it was part of the process that I had to go through. It was a defining moment, but I was in victim mode for 10 years. And then all of a sudden I had to borrow the belief of someone to say, no, you need to go back to this. And so since then I've opened three salons with my daughter and growing. And it's just crazy because the flourishing, we had a, another walkout and I was fine. But it was like God was preparing me for that second walkout so that I would be fine so I could set up the system. So yes, that was a defining moment. And so it's transformational moment. So when you say defining moment, what specifically do you mean? And what direction because you don't do real estate anymore is that correct so you switched directions and everything so you really were transformed what exactly happened there i didn't have victim mode for 10 years but i did have it for several months because it was oh my gosh the president oh my gosh the mortgage industry all oh, the mortgage brokers all oh, the bankers and all of that played a part right because we were in the midst of a great recession like it's not like i'm the only person who lost money during that season but what taking responsibility did was give me my power back. Let me not, let me stop worrying about what they did or didn't do and look at what I could have done. 
there are still some very specific things I could have done. You know, in that season, did I have to go buy a 6,000 square foot home? No, it was just me and my husband. We, you know, we hadn't even like, we were just now getting pregnant, you know, like, so did, did we have to have matching Range Rovers? Did we have to do, did we have to take our staff from one office that was completely okay to the bigger office? What was the point in that? That was ego. That wasn't based on necessity. It was based that look at me, I have a seven figure business. And so there were some things that I needed to wrestle with. Did I exhaust the remainder of my savings keeping my staff afloat? I did. Was that necessarily wise? Maybe not. But it was what I felt, you know, these were the people who I felt helped me become who I was. And I just couldn't imagine. I didn't even under, have the bandwidth to understand just laying people off. So I could have made different decisions, but had I also sought wise counsel, someone who had been in business longer than me, 10, 15, 20 years, who had seen a recession, who had seen some things and went and sat at their feet and said, what, what are you doing in this season? Like, how are you, how are you getting through it? How are you making it? You know, a lot of times we get a good idea, Tina, and it's not a good idea. It's a God idea. What dropped in my spirit was you need to share. And then that limiting belief was who's going to listen to me? I'm broke. <laughs> right. Like, right. What am I supposed to say? I'm broke right now. And then I battled with this little kind of like angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. <laughs> and finally came to, uh, after a couple days, you lost all your money, but your mind isn't bad. Like you did still run a seven figure business because you're here now doesn't negate the fact that you did do these things. You just need to take your next best step whatever that is. And when I got off that floor, the next best step for me the next morning was starting a freeblogspot.com. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Every week, I'm going to choose a proverb and I'm going to unpack the business or money principle. And I'm just going to do that. That is literally what I felt in my spirit was the next best step. I was not thinking about becoming a best-selling author. I was not thinking about being on national television. I was not thinking about my four-year stint on a nationally syndicated radio show. I was not thinking about speaking in front of tens of thousands of people. I was not thinking about any of that. Mm -hmm. I literally was like, maybe there's one person I can help. And if I unpack a proverb and make it real life applicable, like that can help them. Now, mind you, I have been self-employed my entire adult life. I've never really applied for a job. So that alone was intimidating because I never needed a resume, you know, and it was like, wow, wow, resume, I have to figure out how to apply for a job. And I was like, I need to do the, I need to do real work. And like, I'm wasting time because I would, I would study. Like if you listen to the podcast, you could probably tell that when I'm working on something or if I have an idea, like I study the words, like I really try to pick it apart. That was the same thing that I was doing when I was, you know, starting this blog and I would spend hours on it, pining over it. Um, and the devil, the, the little devil on my shoulder is like, so you're doing all this for that. And you have a kid, you need to be serious. You need to get, you know, and I stopped for a couple of weeks and I was like, I got to get on LinkedIn. So I got to go on Indeed and these different sites. And then out of the blue, Tina, a man sent me an email. And I always remember it was a male's name, but I wish I could remember his name. But a man sent me an email. He said, hey, I hope you're well. Um, haven't seen you update the blog, but I've been really enjoying it. And you know, my first thought was, I was like, who is this man? Where did he come from? What does he talk? Like, how does he know me? Like, I was spooked because I was new to the online world. I have run a brick and mortar business, a physical, you know, location. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
how did he find me in this world wide web? Like I was getting used to being online, truly. I didn't even, you know, really understand things yet. Yeah. And we, my husband and I went on the back end because I only knew how to post. I never paid attention to all the other buttons and pages to go to. Once I knew, put, type your words here and upload the picture. Like that's literally all I had. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, what are these other buttons? And then I started looking at analytics and all this back end stuff. I was getting like a hundred views. I was getting th like people were commenting, but I didn't know that I had to go in and enable the comment because I didn't have like notifications on or anything. So there was wow. like, all that I didn't even realize was happening. I really wow. was touching one. I was touching several people that were strangers. And one of the lessons I took away from there is that if your heart is pure and your intention is right, and you are literally saying, I just want to impact one, you really don't need the validation of friends and family. Exactly. Close to you, they may not get it and they're mm -hmm. not your audience. And sometimes right. we give up when we don't get the immediate validation from the people closest to us, but mm -hmm. not for them because they're not necessarily your audience. Mm -hmm. so we're finding it and we're reading it and commenting unbeknownst to me. That was my audience. And so once I realized that, I stopped looking for jobs and I was like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this some more, but maybe if I write for other people's blogs, then more people will come to my blog. And that was my rationale. And that was my next best step. And that's what I did. I started writing for other websites. And then that led to me writing for a few magazines, national magazines. And then that led to me doing radio interviews locally and then getting national radio, Steve Harvey show for four years and national television. And then all the magazine interviews and all the speaking everywhere, but it all started. And I still, to this day, I thank God so much for that one man who said, Hey, hope you're well. Yeah. Wow. Because he <laughs> saved, he saved my destiny. Wow. It was like God sent him and I get it. Cause I've had those people and it's true. And, and that's how I started too, is just doing a leadership blog. I'm like, shoot, I might as well just do it. Just share my heart with people. And, and my husband would say, how long does it take you to write these? And I'm like, I don't know, five minutes, you know, I just speak it into my phone. I send it to my editor. She makes it look pretty. <laughs> you know? It looks good. And I love this. This is so powerful because that was your shift. But I want to go back a little bit because I was just reading in your website, Patrice, and another thing that where you and I are just like bonded sisters is you said, I spent the first 23 years of my life believing I was ugly. And I believe this is a huge transformational moment for you because I know it was for me and I didn't realize that I didn't really want to talk about it because of all those limiting beliefs and the names and I was ugly I mean I had buck teeth glasses I was I mean if you look at pictures <laughs> I was ugly and so when I look at that and I think wow how did I shift through that right and get into the beauty business which is even funnier but you said affirming the children in your life is so critical and again, transform people, transform people. You're an incredible mom. And, you know, in my book, Be Amazing, I talk about understand your value. And I had to speak that over myself over and over again. But the interesting thing is, is you didn't have people to tell you how beautiful you were growing up. I've heard your story. I did. And I still, I still thought 
that I was ugly. And, you know, I got, I was suicidal at 16 and then God came into my life and I realized my purpose, that was my transformation. What was yours through that? Because you never actually ever talked about that on stage. How did you transform through that period? Um, well, there was a, there was a day that I came home from a trip I had taken to Europe with my best friend at the time. Well, she's still my best friend, um, but my best girlfriend from high school. And we went on a trip to celebrate her graduation from college, like 21 days gone. And when I came back, my husband had moved all my stuff into my new place and completely decorated it. And it was beautiful. Like he literally unpacked clothes, everything. It was the sweetest thing. And I was, I was so like in awe, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, oh, he loves me so much. And then I saw that he had blown up these really big pictures of me that he loved. And I did not like it. I was, you know, the first one I tried to walk by like, okay, like I'm not, you know, I'm trying to be in the moment, so I'm not gonna, you know, but then I turned a corner and there was another. And then there was like three all together. And I was like, okay, now this has gone too far. <laughs> like, this mm -hmm. is too much. And I was crying about it. And my, um, my now husband, then boyfriend, he's like, like, what, what, like, what's wrong? Like, what is the problem? And I'm like, why would you do that? That's what I asked him. Why would you do that? He's like, why would I do what? Like, I'm like, why would you put those pictures up? He's like, I love those pictures. Like, these, these pictures are gorgeous. And I'm like, no, they're not. I never saw it as, well, I'm beautiful and worthy and special and, you know, made in God's image. I didn't have an understanding for that. And my husband was like, maybe, have you ever heard of therapy? <laughs> like, maybe you should go to therapy. Maybe you should talk to somebody. And I'm like, you think so? And after several weeks, like, I was like, maybe I should talk to someone because mm. I was super bothered. Like, he had to take them down. They, they, they did not even stay up past that night. Wow. Wow. And I worked with a therapist for a couple years. Mm -hmm. who really helped me see um just as transform people transform people hurt people hurt people and the people in my family who were saying some of the really negative things um they were hurt and that I would have to learn to forgive them even if they never said sorry I was 25 before I could finally look in the mirror and not cringe and not hold myself in a different stance or try to turn my head to what I felt could be the better light. Like if it's just like right here where I could just get in the mirror and look at my face dead on and not cringe, not wish I was my brother's color. Cause my skin tone was one of the things that was really hard for me growing up. Not wish that I, I was any thicker, you know, cause I was super skinny as a kid, like not wish that all these things were different. And it's coincidentally, not coincidentally, I got to stop saying that divinely. It is at the exact same time that my business hit seven figures. Wow. I think that there's a, de a definite connection between me stripping myself and letting go of all these old stories and building a self-confidence that did not come from accomplishment, right? A self-confidence that was not rooted in Look at these grades. Look at how much I have now. Look at, you know, all the accolades and awards. It was a self-confidence that came from like, I am exactly who God created me to be. And I am not supposed to be anything different. And this is like a take it or leave it thing. And when I was 25, that first year I start, um, that I, we had seven figures. It's also the first year I start firing clients. 
-hmm. had the confidence to fire clients mm -hmm. that did not respect boundaries and that thought that because I was young, they could talk to me crazy or that I should be at their beck and call all day long and all night long and calling in the middle of the night being super disrespectful. And I have built this confidence that was like, you don't get to treat me that way because I finally knew who I was and I was just starting to like really like own that. Wow. And so what do you do? Talk to those people that are offended all the time. Cause I, I, I coach people all the time, especially my students and they're just offended by what other students say to them or family members or, or friends. Right. So how do you work through that? The, the truth is I believe that some people like to be offended. Like it meets another, okay. right? It meets another need and, and it meets something else. And oftentimes mm -hmm. um, it may be just not being ready to deal with, deal with feedback. Cause sometimes things are just feedback and feedback, you can take it or leave it. Like there's yeah. nothing, right? It's like, that's their opinion. Not to be confused with um, jealousy. Yeah. and enviousness and, and it's so interesting because God always gives me a word and it's so crazy because today I'm sitting there reading in Luke um, about uh, the disciples were upset because another man was healing uh, another man and the disciples couldn't heal like they for the life of them they just couldn't heal at that moment and uh, and basically what they were was jealous yeah. They were jealous of this other man. And I started thinking, wow, if the disciples could be jealous, I need to admit that I get jealous. I need to admit that I get envy. And so talk to the people right now, like what are signs of jealousy? Uh, what are signs of envious? And how do you stop yourself in your traps so that you don't, um, the ego doesn't step in, right? We get that humility in. So how do you stop? Uh, there's a couple things I do now. Even if I feel something coming up now, one of my big things I do, it doesn't matter how much I like you, I will unfollow you on social media. If watching your rise makes me struggle and I'm yeah. already afraid about it and I've already mm -hmm. tried to like, you know, deal with it. I'm not going to keep torturing myself or distracting myself from staying focused on what I'm supposed to do. So while I like you, I will unfollow you until my spirit can handle seeing you do what you're yeah. doing. The other thing I do is I unfollow people who are very similar to me because I don't want to start confusing what I'm seeing them do with what I was told to do. And then you might be closing yourself off to having your own divine downloads and knowing what you should be working on because everything that's permissible is not beneficial. Check in and ask yourself, were you ever in a season where people had to look at you like that? Because you were in your winning season and everything is, it's a seasonal thing. Nothing is permanent. You're not going to be on top forever. You're not going to be on the bottom forever. And, and, and know that it's okay because if, the, if it happened for the disciples, it can happen for us. We're human beings. That's beautiful. And, and I think you always say it too, and I do too, um, God puts the super in our natural. And that's, that is the super in the natural. It's compassion, you know, that you get for people that you couldn't have if you didn't have God in your life, you know? And yeah. so that's, that's transforming right there, right? Yeah. And I want to jump into your book real quick because 
there, I love your book, by the way, because on Kindle, if it, you can look at the questions and then you click on the question and bam, and there's the answer right there. So don't even just get her book, but also download it on Kindle. And uh, so real money answers for women. Uh, but this question, and I think it ties in everything that we just talked about, which I didn't even realize I was going to go there on those three questions, by the way, is how do I deal with girlfriends who have it all? And, and I would love for you to touch on it because you say, uh, don't try to keep up. Don't make them feel guilty. Make suggestions that work for you were three of them that you gave. Do you want to touch on that? Because I think that's really powerful. A lot of us, um, and let's say they really do, you know, have it all in your opinion. Um, it goes back to what we were saying. Like there's a lot of the comparison, right? Yeah. There's a lot of the comparison and it's not, I've learned to celebrate what people have without, you know, pooping on myself or what I may not have yet. Yeah. Right? If, it, right. if that's actually a desire of mine. And I mean, you really listed the good ones. It's like, first of all, don't try to make them feel bad. Now I have experienced this firsthand because I've been in seasons where I was the girlfriend who seemed to have it all. Right. Um, you know, you can't judge people's purchases by your paycheck. Mm. You can't judge what I buy or what I do by, by your paycheck because I, I'm living a different reality right now. Oh, that's good. That's good. You, you said something really powerful. You're coaching me again. So this is uh, kind of funny because quite a few years ago, a friend of mine uh, took me, we went shopping and she's like, oh, I'm going to buy a purse. And, and she only spends $1,000 on her purses and shoes, right? And although I can afford it, I, I just don't do that. It's just not my value. So you said, don't deny your reality. And I, I want to add to that or your own values. Yes. And so it's, that's not my value. So I'm okay with that now after getting coached by you, <laughs> because oh, for yeah. you, I felt guilty. I thought, well, should I be buying thousand dollar purses? And, and I just can't, I just can't, I don't even like purses. <laughs> you know, I, I carry a wallet, you know, with you my know what, I, I love that. <laughs> Let me tell you what I love. Again, I am so consumed with living my life's purpose, the message of redefining wealth. And it, if, it's, if it's not going to help me spread the message of redefining wealth, I, you know, I literally give it little to no attention unless you are my family. You should mm. be able to see my value because of the value I'm adding to you. It was good. Not because yeah. of the that I'm holding. I, I love that you said chase purpose, not things, right? And and that God downloaded this uh, this uh, quote to me a few years ago, and it's become my life quote. It's on everything. Don't be obsessed with money or success, but rather be obsessed with improvement. And I agree with you. I'd rather spend money on improvement. Like I. I am a seminar junkie. I take so many courses online and my husband thinks I'm nuts, absolutely nuts. But I'll tell you, it, it just makes me a better me. It's my therapy. <laughs> it's my therapy that I have. And so I know we're coming to the end of this, but, but I, we have to talk about this from your book because you said in your book, you said, what can I do? And I know everyone's on the edge of their seats right now. What can I do to create wealthier habits? Because we know it's all about habits. And you say in your book, number one, get clear about your goals, declare a purpose, commit to a lifestyle 
of learning. And that's what we're talking about. Be, be obsessed with improvement. What, what can you touch on that from your book, Patrice, that you want to talk about? Creating a wealthier life has come from clarity of purpose, but also really connecting to what it is I'm saying I want to create and that bigger why, right? But having a visualization for it. So I really believe in vision boards. I believe in dream journals. I believe in writing the vision and making it plain. And so in every area of my life, I try to have visual representations around of where of what I say I want to remind me of who I need to become so I know where I'm going. And I have those cues all around because when I see things, I want the energy of it making me smile. As a wealthier habit like this practice of visualization is, I was in a Barnes and Nobles. I had no money, <laughs> by the way. It's mm -hmm. like I was in that process of like rebuilding. It was 2011 and I was in a Barnes and Nobles and the personal finance section of the store and I was just standing there and I started having all these warm feelings about you'll be here one day. And I was like, wow. what is that wasn't how I started. That wasn't wow. how I started. That was the first time it, it dropped in my spirit that I would be like, I would really write a book. Like someone had prophesied that to me years before. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a numbers person. That's why I was a mortgage broker. But in that moment, I was there and I was looking at the books and I felt this check in my spirit that was like, why not you do this? And I took a picture, this old school, right? Because we didn't have camera phones. I took like a, like a real picture and wow. I went home and I printed it down because I had like the digital cameras back then. And I printed it down. I put it in my journal and I literally wrote like, God, thank you in advance for the day that I will walk into a Barnes and Nobles and see my book on the shelf. Um, thank you in advance for how this book is going to bless the lives of so many people. And then on the other page, I've shared some of this on Instagram, but what I didn't share is on the other page, it says, um, you know, I am a household name, you know, in the area of personal finance. Like I am this, marriages are healed and restored because of my work. Um, women are breaking, you know, bondage, the bondage of like debt and all this stuff. Like I had all these different affirmations and things. That was mm -hmm. 2016, I did a national book tour and Barnes and Noble stores only all across the country. And I remember when I was standing there smiling in the aisle in that Barnes and Nobles in Alpharetta, Georgia, and I was taking that picture, I was looking around and I was smiling because I was having a vision of women looking at me like as I was holding my book and talking to them and to go all across the country and actually have that in 10 Barnes and Noble stores all over the country um, five years later. And I, I went to some stores mm -hmm. and they didn't know who I was, right? Because I was not like I was some celebrity or something. They didn't know who I was and they only put 20 chairs out. And I remember the one in um, Maryland. <laughs> The, the the signing had over 150 women. Wow. At a Barnes and Noble store. In Atlanta, there was, a, when I did the Atlanta one, there was a storm coming and they were telling people to stay off the roads. And it was the only day I was going to be there because I was doing a lot of media and I was going from one place to the next. And I kept saying, should I cancel it? Should I cancel it? And my husband was on the phone. He's like, babe, just go. If one person is there, you know how you are. If one person is there, you'll pour into them. There was almost a hundred people on a night that they said people should not be outside. Wow. And I think about 
literally how that was manifested, right? But all of that directed my why. Because during those five years, I did not waste money on things that were not important to me. I only invested in things that were going to bring me closer to that vision, making that vision a reality. And wow. even when it came to getting my book deal, I did, there was no stress. There was no strife. I didn't do, um, what do you call it? Book proposals. I didn't even do a book proposal. They came to me. The publisher wow. paid to buy wow. the rights to the book I had already so Okay. That, that to me, the member of the wealth is not just money and material possessions. That is a byproduct, but it's like, it's the well-being and it's the focus and it's the, that vi those visions control my calendar. I don't do busy work. I don't have time to do busy work, right? Some of us, we fill our calendars with a whole bunch of busy stuff. I do the things that are going to move that purpose and that vision forward and everything else you have to delegate. Mm. I love it. And I know uh, you're working on your, uh, working on your six pillars of wealth book, right? When is that coming out? You know, I don't know. It's funny. I feel that this is going to be the best book I've ever written. I think that it's going to require, I want to give it my all in terms of the promotion, the marketing, the everything that I can, because I believe it is going to bless the socks off of people. And I don't want to be careless and um, too quick. Yeah, it's powerful. And those of you listening right now, uh, Patrice, when she speaks on stage, she talks about the six pillars of wealth and, it, and it's being fit, which is mental health and physical health, which resonates with me 100%. That's where my transformation began. Uh, people, pillar, the space pillar. Oh, girl, I'm spring cleaning right now <laughs> because of you. So thank you. Uh, the faith pillar, that's everything. Uh, work and then the money pillar. And it just, it's such a powerful message, Patrice. And I really want to urge all of you guys to get onto her podcast because in the very beginning of her podcast, she actually goes through every single one of these pillars. So you're just going to want to binge listen to her like I do. I get on the airplane and I just binge listen to you the whole time. My husband's like, what are you listening to now? Is it Patrice? Yes. Patrice, thank you for doing this. How can uh, people get a hold of you? And are you doing one-on-one -on -one coaching? Um, the best way to find me is at patricewashington.com. No, currently I'm not doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I do have group coaching programs. I do run masterminds. So I do a lot with those groups. That's where I put a lot of my, my time and attention. And for any woman in particular who's listening that feels like as much as I want to keep working on the wealth building, I need accountability in the well-being space. Like I understand yeah. how to make money in my business, but what I don't understand is how to unplug. I don't understand how to do it with more ease and grace. I don't understand how to do it with a community of other women supporting and holding me accountable. Like that is where I hold the space for people right now. And I'm loving it. Uh, Patrice, you are the best. Thank you for your time. I know we, we ran a long time, but I'm telling you, we've got to get this whole message out there. It's so powerful. You are powerful. So thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.